My name is Keith Beavers, and as a kid, Eddie Van Halen was my hero. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 21 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I'm the tastings director of Vine Pair. How are, are you? I'm, we're both, I think we're both good. So you've heard of Riesling? Do you know Riesling? Do you love Riesling? Do you want to love Riesling? People are talking about Riesling. What is this grape that's kind of come into our world and said, hi? This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Columbia Winery. As Washington's original premium winery, Columbia Winery proudly carries a long legacy of discovering and celebrating exceptional Washington wine. Our rich history, as well as the distinct terroir of the great Columbia Valley, allows us to craft wines that embody Washington's unique spirit and curious nature. Columbia Winery offers a collection of rich and deliciously enjoyable wines inspired by the diversity of Washington's best growing regions. Created through visionary winemaking and unrelenting curiosity, Columbia Winery. Okay, all right, Riesling. Have you guys ever tried it? I'm sure you've heard of it. The thing is, this, the wines made from this grape are some of the most unique wines out there. And the reason why we're putting this in the first season is because this is a grape that kind of, this is a wine that just kind of, I mean, it's been around for a long time. It's originated in Germany, which we'll get to, but like, it's just in the past 10 to 15 years, it's kind of like built and built and built to now in the United States, it's kind of a big deal. And if you're like, really, Keith? I, I didn't know Riesling was a big deal. Well, it, the reason why it is, and the reason why you're going to see more of it around, and you're probably seeing more of it around on wine shelves, is because in the wine industry itself, it, it the, the, the idea of Riesling has become such a fee... It, the, the popularity, I should say, of Riesling in the wine community itself has become has come to a fevered pitch. There is this obsession with this wine, and it, it started in the sommelier community, the, the wine importing community, the wine buying community at some point, it's in some respects. There's actually a, a, a wine bar in New York that had something called the Summer of Riesling, where it was just Riesling all summer long on the wine list. And it briefly became a national trend. It's not anymore, but it really, when it was a national trend, it was just like there was summer of Riesling all over the place. That's probably maybe, that might be how you actually learn about Riesling. And there's a lot to talk about surrounding Riesling. And what I mean by that is like where it comes from in Germany, there, there's a lot to learn about what's going on in Germany with Riesling and how they present Riesling to people. <laughs> Then there's the grape itself and its very unique characteristics and inherent material that w w makes this very unique wine. And then on top of that, there are there's this wide spectrum of Riesling styles from bone dry to crazy sweet. It's a lot. So I'm going to touch on some of the German stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Not a lot because, again, like I said, it would take a whole episode and all that stuff. But I want you guys just to kind of understand why this wine is the way it is. 
because historically in the United States, we have come up with oaky white wine, right? Even though we love Sauvignon Blanc, which is sometimes oak, and, and, and Pinot Grigio, I mean, Chardonnay, oaked white wine, it's kind of like how we came up in wine. And Riesling is just the polar opposite of that. So let's just get into this. Riesling, as it's, Riesling is how it's pronounced, like Reese's peanut butter cup, Riesling, um, it comes from Germany. And it is, interestingly enough, it is a, uh, has a parent offspring relationship with the Casanova of grapes we talked about before, Gue Blanc. But it popped up in the first, I mean, the real, the documentation of this grape is, is a little bit crazy, but it really pops up around the 15th century in the western part of Germany. You have the, the Rhine River, which is a very important river in Europe. It's one of the big trade rivers. It starts in the, in, in the Swiss Alps and then worked its way north through Germany to the North Sea. And about halfway from the Swiss Alps to northern Germany, the, the Rhine River takes a hard turn west. And in this area, the Rhine River, with about five other rivers with names like Nakar, Na, Mosul, Maine, this is the area where Riesling has thrived for a long time. It's kind of, this is Riesling's home. And this is what it looks like. You have rivers that are cutting through these mountainous hills. And the hills are very steep from the river on each bank. And those hills are filled with very poor soil like slate and granite. And nothing grows on these hills except for the Riesling vine. There are 13 wine growing regions in Germany, but there are six that are centered in this specific area that grow Riesling that we're going to see on the American market mostly. You have Mosul, Rheingau, Na, which is N-A-H-E, Rheinhessen, Pfalz, P-F-A-L-Z, and Wuttenberg. And each of these regions are pretty much terroir-driven, and they all grow and make Riesling, but they make them in styles that are specific to their area. Rheingau makes grippy Riesling that kind of smell like honey. Faltz makes fat, round, juicy Rieslings. Mosul, which is the coolest of the regions, makes the most focused, age-worthy Rieslings. And within these terroir-driven styles, depending on when the grapes are picked, will define how sweet or how dry the Riesling will be. And if that sounds confusing, it actually is pretty confusing. And in addition to that, the, the, the Germans in 1930 started developing their sort of classification system, their, their wine laws. And then it was completely overhauled in 1971. And then through the 80s, the 90s, and the early 2000s, it's changed as well. So I'm not going to get into German wine law. I just can't do it. But I want to explain Riesling to you and how unique and crazy this stuff is. And in doing that, you'll kind of get a sense of why there's a wide spectrum of styles in Germany and outside of Germany. Because even though I gave you a general idea of how some of the Rieslings are characterized in different regions, even with those generalities, there's differences within those regions. What I think you should know about Riesling is, first of all, it will never see oak. Riesling and oak do not 
nor will ever get along. Another thing to know about Riesling is they're often low in alcohol. The highest you can get is probably about 13% alcohol, which you're not going to see often. Mainly, you're going to see in between 8 and 10% alcohol. This is where the unique thing is here. The, the grape Riesling is very, very, no, it's very high in tartaric acid. So you have the two main acids in wine are tartaric acid and malic acid. And that makes up the, the when you talk about, when I talk about acidity, that's what we're talking about. Malic acid is often decomposed through the malolactic conversion, which we talked about in the Chardonnay episode. Tartaric acid is the acid that sticks around for a long time. And there is a lot of it in the Riesling grape. Also, the wines made from Riesling often have a very high residual sugar, which we talked about in the winemaking episode. But with the high tartaric acid, it often can hold up to the residual sugar. So what you have here is a wine that is nervy and bracing with acidity and sweet at the same time. It, it's, it's, it's crazy. So what happens is you have high sugar and high acid. Now, this grape, depending on when it's picked, it can change. So if you have lower acid and more sugar, it's going to be more lush. If you have higher acid and less sugar, it's going to be bone dry. And depending on where it's grown, how it's made, and when the grape is picked will define that. And that's one of the reasons why German wine law is a little bit confusing because there's a lot of levels of that. The other thing you should know on top of all of that is that it is one of the most aromatic wines out there. I know Sauvignon Blanc has a lot of aromas. My God, you cannot deny that. But there is a very distinct Riesling aroma profile. It can be described as sharp, steely, racy. Sometimes you put your nose in a Riesling and you're literally smelling a wet rock. It's crazy. And even though it has all that stuff, that steely, racy kind of sharpness to it, it can also have the sweetness in there, but the sweetness is not the, it won't be prominent because of that steeliness. It's, a, it's very crazy. Sometimes you smell honey. Sometimes you smell grapefruit. Sometimes you smell spicy, like cinnamon. It, it's all over the place. And then on top of all of that... There is a compound in this grape that is only found in a few other varieties. This is the most famous grape that it has it in. And it's a long scientific name, but the, the acronym is TDN. Okay, let me see if I can throw down on this. Norasopranoid hydrocarbon 116 trimethyl 112 dihydro Nathalene. You're like, whoa, Keith, why did you just throw all those words in my brain? Well, <laughs> it's TDN is the, is, the, is the acronym. And the reason why I'm saying this is this, this is very specific to this, to this wine. As, the, as Rieslings age in the bottle, within two to three years in the bottle, this particular compound becomes apparent 
on your nose and in your brain. It's, you know, the, the detection threshold is very minor, but it smells like kerosene, straight up kerosene. And in very low amounts, like below, just, just above your detection threshold, you're like, oh, this is very wild. And you have all this floral stuff, some honeyed stuff, the minerality is happening, and then this slight little kerosene thing comes in. And it's a very unique part of the complexity of this wine. If it's in higher concentrations, this becomes sort of a prominent aroma, and it can sometimes take away from the subtleties of this wine. But it doesn't often happen, but it can. Mostly, this is a part of the complexity of a wine. It's very comfy on the nose. <laughs> and it doesn't transmit to the palate, really. It's really just sort of a, it's, it's a, more of a real, like, nose aroma. And you notice how I, remember how I said, you know, this is in the two to three, two to three years into the, the bottle's aging. Riesling, another thing you should know about Riesling is, this is, the cra- this is crazy. Riesling can age as a white wine, as long as a Bordeaux, a red Bordeaux, like 20 to 30 years. And this is a wine that never sees oak, which, you know, oak helps, it aids in, 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 the, in the aging process. All the magic of Riesling happens in the bottle. It's just, it's crazy. Another thing to know about Riesling, and this is what's going to take us out of Germany into other places in the world, but not many, because the vine itself the 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 wood the woody armor that vines develop as they grow which we talked about in the vineyard episode is very winter hardy so this is a vine that does very well in cold sometimes extremely cold weather i mean this part the the area in germany in which it thrives there's literally you can just google mosel winter vineyards and it's just snow everywhere and they're doing, the, the vines love that stuff. I mean, I don't know if they love it, but they can definitely handle it. So in Germany and outside of Germany, the best places for Riesling are in cool regions. That's why it's not all over the place. I mean, outside of Germany, we have Austria, which has a very significant, I mean, they don't, they don't do a lot of Riesling, but the Rieslings they do are just beautiful. They're very crisp, very clean. They're wonderful. Outside of Austria and Germany, there's France. Actually, France the only place in France that Riesling is allowed, like allowed in, is Alsace. Alsace is north of Burgundy, and it was once Germany. So it, it, they have Rieslings there, and they have a whole Grand Cru uh, you know, system there, which I can't really get into. But they range in style from very sweet to very dry as well. In the New World, there's actually one area that's not very cold that thrived with Riesling, and that's Australia. For a long time... Also, Riesling was a thing, and it, it's a it, it, the the Rieslings coming out of Australia are very unique in that they're a little more tangy, a little more like they smell like limes and honey and stuff like that. So, and they're not as prominent on the market as they once were. But there was a time when Riesling was a big deal in Australia, but we don't see those as much. But it's when we get to North America that is where the sort of Riesling Renaissance in the New World really kind of took hold. And it really started in 1999 in Washington State. There is a winemaker from the Mosul of Germany. His name was Dr. Lucen. And he had tasted a wine from Chateau Saint-Michel, which is a prominent winery in Washington State. And he was like, wow, this is really good. So he actually partnered with them to create a wine called Eroica, 
which is a Riesling that's very prominent on the American market. And that was the beginning. That was the spark that kind of brought Riesling into the United States. It's like, okay, so we're doing Riesling now. Okay, okay. And to this day, Riesling is a very important variety in Washington State. Some amazing Rieslings come out of Washington State. And actually, it's there that they started this triannual Riesling International Conference that happens every three years. And it happens in Washington State. Sometimes it happens in actually in Mosul in Germany. And sometimes it actually happens in Australia. So it's, it, that kind of got everything started. But the thing about us as an American wine drinking culture... You know, we often like to associate a variety with a place and then celebrate it. You know, we had Cabernet Sauvignon is like the Napa thing. In the Willamette Valley of Oregon, it's all about Pinot Noir. And we started paying attention to the Willamette Valley because of Pinot Noir, which is, you you know, sideways helped, but that's why we love Pinot Noir from Willamette. And as much as Riesling is amazing in Washington State, Washington State does other wines like Cabernet Sauvignon that are very well celebrated and Syrahs. But it's New York State that is really making a noise for Riesling. In the northern part of New York State bordering Canada, there's a place called the Finger Lakes. And it's here in this very hilly, very cold, snowy, wintry place that Riesling is thriving to the point where the quality of Riesling coming out of this area is defining New York State to the point where this is Riesling. So when you think about like Willamette, Pinot Noir, Napa, Cabernet Sauvignon, Finger Lakes, New York, Riesling. And it's sort of creating this American style Riesling out of New York. It's, a, it's hard to explain, but there's a roundness to them. There's a you get that sharpness, you get that sort of steeliness, but there's a frothy acidity to them. They have like this, I don't know, that they're, they're they're very unique. You should definitely seek them out. We at Vine Pair every year do a top 50 list of the wines we've tasted this you know that year that we love so much. And New York Riesling has made that list. I am a native New Yorker. I was born in upstate New York, and I'm just very excited because these wines are being celebrated and it's just it's just so cool. What's really great is New York State has created what's called the International Riesling Foundation. It's drinkriesling.com, and it's a nonprofit organization that helps, you know, raise awareness of Riesling because of the quality that's coming out in that state. And one of the major contributions they have for the consumer is they actually created a graphic that's on the back of all of their wine labels of Riesling, and it's a scale from dry to medium dry, to medium sweet, to sweet. And depending on where in that spectrum the Riesling that you're about to buy lies, you can just turn around the label and see a little mark somewhere on that scale. It's, a, it's just such a simple, great way to understand the kind of Riesling you're about to buy. And it's not just New York that has that kind of climate. Just over the border in Ontario, they make great Riesling as well, but mostly in the ice wines. So they let the wines, the grapes freeze, and they extract all the, the syrupy juice from them, make the dessert wines, and they're just really awesome. And also, it's not easy to find because it's still a kind of an emerging wine region, sort of. But Michigan, wow, man, upstate, like all the way in the northern part of Michigan, there are some beautiful Rieslings being made there. Very clean, steely, awesome, mineral-driven Rieslings. They're not as easy to find, but if you come across them, check them out. 
So that's Riesling in a nutshell. You know, I wish I could get into the whole German wine law because it'll it, it's a little bit mind-boggling, but it's kind of fun, but it really takes some time. But don't let that scare you. Definitely go and find Riesling and see if it's a wine that you like and what spectrum of kind of sweet or bone dry you like. It's, it's definitely a journey. You got to taste a lot of them to kind of figure out what, what you dig. And now you know some places outside of Germany that make fun Rieslings as well. If you're digging what I'm doing, picking up what I'm putting down, go ahead and give me a rating on iTunes or tell your friends to subscribe. You can subscribe. If you like to type, go ahead and send a, you know, a review or something like that. But let's get this wine podcast up so everybody can learn about wine. Check me out on Instagram. It's at VinePairKeith. I do all my stuff and stories. And also, you've got to follow VinePair on Instagram, which is at VinePair. And don't forget to listen to the VinePair podcast, which is hosted by Erica, Adam, and Zach. It's a great deep dive into drinks culture every week. Now for some credits. How about that? Wine 101 is recorded and produced by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the VinePair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mellon. I also want to thank Danielle Grinberg for making the most legit Wine 101 logo. And I got to thank Darby Seaside for making this amazing song. I mean, listen to this epic stuff. And finally, I want to thank the Vine Pear staff for helping me learn more every day. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Columbia Wine. As Washington's original premium winery, Columbia Winery proudly carries a long legacy of discovering and celebrating exceptional Washington wine. Our rich history, as well as the distinct terroir of the great Columbia Valley, allows us to craft wines that embody Washington's unique spirit and curious nature. Columbia Winery offers a collection of rich and deliciously enjoyable wines inspired by the diversity of Washington's best growing regions. Created through visionary winemaking and unrelenting curiosity, Columbia Winery.